It's time for Mindful Venturing, a podcast that helps entrepreneurs and innovators use mindfulness to be more successful at managing themselves and others. Hello and welcome to another episode of Mindful Venturing. I'm your host, Prashant Pongshe, and I should say welcome back. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. I've been on a bit of a hiatus as work life especially got quite busy. And I thought that rather than just do an episode here and there, I would uh, get a bit of time in my schedule to do a few episodes in a row and then release them still on a weekly schedule, but ahead of schedule so that I get a bit ahead. And that way, if work life gets busy again, um, I'll still be able to stick to that weekly schedule. So we're going to talk about this episode and in the next few episodes about resilience and how you can build resilience and how resilience is related, not just to mindfulness, but to just healthier body and mind and helping us get better day by day. Resilience is a tricky topic to talk about, I think, and even think about at times. It can mean different things to different people. And so for all these reasons, I took the easy way out and didn't mention it on the podcast. But it's a topic which I keep coming back to both when I'm talking to people I work with or just friends in entrepreneurship and innovation circles. I think it goes back to what I keep saying in this podcast is if we're in a mode where we're faced with a lot of uncertainty, with a lot of risk, which obviously comes with a lot of ups and downs, then you're going to have to learn to be resilient. But one of the challenges I've faced is resilience can mean different things to different people. And a lot of people I talk to usually define it in a way that I really don't agree with. And in my research, because I thought, well, you know, maybe I'm the one that's got it wrong. And I'm not saying I've got it 100% right. But certainly when I think about mindfulness and the intersection of mindfulness and resilience and being better and managing myself better and managing others better, I haven't always agreed with this idea that resilience equals toughing it out. Not just from my own experience, but by observing others who do believe that, they tend to be the ones that are actually the most stressed and the most anxious and the most running out of energy and time and not feeling as though they're in control. And so I think that's where I'll start is by explaining why I'm struggling with what is the conventional or usually the accepted way of thinking about resilience in certainly entrepreneurship and and innovation uh, circles. And rather than trying to describe it myself, I actually found a good article, which I'll link to in the show notes, which um, I think is a good jumping off point. And it says, we often take a militaristic, tough approach to resilience and grit. We imagine a marine slogging through the mud, a boxer going one more round, or a football player picking himself up off the turf for one more play. We believe that the longer we tough it out, the tougher we are, and therefore the more successful we will be. However, this entire conception is inaccurate. 
So that's some pretty strong statements. And I think if I showed that to um, some of the people in my network, they would really disagree. And before I sort of outline why I think it's right and what the solution is and what you can do to be resilient and mindful, I will acknowledge that obviously there are times when all of us have to tough it out. In fact, it's a very good characteristic to have to be able to, you know, show some grit and toughness. Um, So I'm not talking about not having those attributes or not drawing on those strengths when you need them. This is about day-to-day, week-to-week managing yourself and others and trying to do it in this, uh, I like the way they put it, in this militaristic way. Because it really then does become as though you're slogging through the mud or, as they say, a boxer going one more round. And sure, you can do that in the short term, but in the long term, there's a couple of problems. Firstly, you're really running away from the root causes or the the actual problems and challenges that you're facing. You're not facing them head on. You're just trying to get through it. And secondly, in the long run, the more you try and just fight through it and use that as your way of being resilient or even building resilience, all you're doing is just really getting more and more depleted. And the more depleted you get, or the more depleted you and your team get, the more inefficient you are. As I said, you're running away from the core issues and the problems. And then it just becomes this self-perpetuating negative feedback loop. The more you just try and tough it out day in, day out, week in, week out, the more depleted you get. The more depleted you get, the less productive you are, the less healthy you are. And you just won't reach your goals and you won't actually feel like you're getting anywhere. And you know, in the worst case, it will cause you health problems. You'll burn out, you'll, you know, have real issues. I've seen it with people around me. So all of that is to say, um, there is a better way. So let's talk about that now. What's important to remember is, biologically, we need that recovery. So the key to resilience is, quote, trying really hard, then stopping, recovering, and then trying again. This conclusion is based on biology. Homeostasis is a fundamental biological concept describing the ability of the brain to continuously restore and sustain well-being. In a separate episode, I'll go more into the medical scientific aspects of this. So I don't want to go in too much depth right now. But it's definitely the case that whether you're in denial or whether you think you're doing it right by just gritting it out, you're doing it wrong because fundamentally, biologically, we as humans need that recovery. And actually, if it helps, think about your favourite athlete, your favourite sportsman or woman who 
knows that to get to peak performance, they need that recovery time. And so if you have too much time in that performance zone, you need more time in the recovery zone. Because what you're really looking for is giving your body the opportunity to achieve that balance, that homeostasis. And so my first tip is that when you do eventually get to that point of recovery, really focus on the recovery aspect and stop multitasking. It is time to switch off and make the recovery your focal point. If you fail to do that, then you're not going to feel great. But even if you do, you haven't really given your body the opportunity to trigger the sequence of events that aid in recovery and eventually allow you to get up and go again. And then that cycle is the cycle of building resilience properly. So choose whatever works for you. It could be meditation. It could be listening to some music, going out for a walk. Whatever works for you, but something that isn't very mentally taxing. Recovery isn't, you know, going to a park and sitting there and cycling through messages on your phone. You've done 70% of the work, but the 30% that you're doing wrong is actually not helping you recover. Second tip actually came up from my research. So one of the articles that I've linked to has taught me something about internal and external recovery periods. So let me describe it first before talking about it. They talk about internal recovery, which refers to the shorter periods of relaxation that take place within the frames of the workday or the work setting in the form of short scheduled or unscheduled breaks by shifting attention or changing to other work tasks. Whereas external recovery refers to action that takes place outside of your work in the free time between the workdays, um, during weekends, holidays, or vacations. So you need both. But in the internal recovery context, you need to ask yourself what you need. Because if you're in the middle of a workday, sometimes just task switching or trying to take your mind off things or getting up and getting, go, getting up from your desk and getting a coffee might not be enough. You have to always use those mindfulness tools that you've hopefully started to really get the hang off by now, such as awareness and acceptance and really start living in that present moment, but also learning to question yourself in that present moment. It's something which, especially on the really busy days, as someone who can multitask and someone who you know, I, I, I can go till the afternoon before I really start feeling it if I'm really having a busy day. I could go nonstop, but I know it's not good for me and I know that in the long run it doesn't help and actually is a less productive way to work um, and live. So what I've become quite good at in between meetings especially but also when I'm out to lunch is switching off in a way that I might do on the weekend. So rather than switching off just for a few minutes, taking a slightly longer block, uh, longer walk around the block or doing something that really switches off. And I find that um, when I get back to work after lunch, for example, I'm a lot more recharged and I haven't really done anything apart from preventing myself to do things, to do less. 
as the meditation gurus and teachers always say, it's about in it's about trying to be in a state of being rather than a state of doing. So that's recovery. And it's really all about giving our brains the rest that they need. Because unlike, for example, our muscles or anything more physiological or physical, there aren't always the signs when you need them that you need that break. Now I wanted to talk about what I find is one of the most effective ways that I build resilience, and that's by um, journaling and reflecting. And by journaling, I don't mean writing a 500 or 5,000 word essay. Um, For example, I just use an app called Day One uh, for Mac and iOS devices, but there are many other note-taking apps available. And particularly during those difficult moments, what I tend to do is just type up type up a couple of bullet points and I'll go into more detail about my process in a second. But the reason this helps me build resilience is in the moment, it forces me to stop what I'm doing. So back to what we were talking about recovery or that internal um, recovery of just stopping and switching to a different task. Well, in this case, the different task is just writing up a few bullet points about the challenge that I'm facing or just having a bit of a rant even sometimes. And what I've found is in that moment, I gain a lot more perspective and I don't exaggerate what I'm going through and I start triggering and engaging in some self-compassion. You know, it's so easy to be in this mode of thinking and thinking about thinking and back to what I was discussing earlier, just trying to grit it out or have this militaristic go, go, go um, view of the day or the world. And any time I stop, particularly when I'm then starting to get thoughts out of my head, I instantly get perspective. But I also stop exaggerating. You know, it's very easy, particularly when going through the emotional highs and lows, to exaggerate and give power to words and feelings and thoughts and emotions that might not actually be a great representation of what you're going through or what the people around you are going through. You can get caught up in the moment, caught up in you know, your own world or uh, caught up just in, in a team environment or in any sort of group environment. And invariably what then that leads to, that more realistic, not so exaggerated, perspective on what I've just been going through or having a bad day, whatever it might be, leads to a more compassionate response because then I'm not hard on myself or thinking negatively. I'm thinking very positively and very compassionately about what I've been through and why actually, A, it's not as bad as I had been, as bad as the narrative that had been in my head before I sat down to write, you know, so much of non-mindfulness, if I can put it that way, um, so much of non-mindfulness comes down to the stories that we've been telling ourselves. And this is yet another tool that I use to correct or modify um, those stories, particularly during those tough moments.
Now, I enjoy writing. So when I first started this practice five or six years ago of using some sort of journaling or reflection during those tough moments, I did start seeing the benefits. But what I wasn't expecting was the long-term benefits, particularly, I think, if you use a digital tool. But I suppose the same thing could work on paper as well. Because what I mean is I then actually take time in my morning as part of my morning routine. If you haven't listened to the episode on morning routines, there's a couple which I'll link to which go through my morning routine. And I actually consciously use time in the morning to, I guess, selectively sometimes, but randomly at other times, look back on some of these entries, particularly on some of the difficult days, but also on some of the more joyous happy days. And what I wasn't expecting is what a boost that catalogue or that historical record, if you like, is. Because it gives me such a boost to see, you know, oh, that's right, you know, a year ago or sometimes the apples surface up, you know, such and such happened a year ago. Oh, a year ago, had this really big win after three consecutive days of failures or having things not go my way. But more than that, I've actually articulated what worked and what didn't work. And I can see that I have adapted to um, not just my work situation or my home situation, but actually started to build better habits and eliminate the bad habits so that over time I have actually got a journal of resilience building, which when I first started that, process, I certainly wasn't expecting that. Now, I realise that not everyone is like me and you might have trouble writing, or if it's not trouble writing, you might have trouble just getting started. So I'm going to link to an article from my friend and mentor, Melissa Rosenthal, who's been on the podcast earlier, of course. And she's written an article about reflection more in her coaching context, because she's an expert coach and um, she's written some great articles actually just on reflecting and reflections uh, in that context, which I'll also link to. But what I like about one of these articles is it resurfaces the power of questions. So if you're really stuck, I think what can really help that reflective practice is just giving yourself a bit of a nudge through questions to get going. Or to put it in um, more expert terms, uh, as Melissa has, well-asked questions can create an unexpected but valuable visceral reaction. Sometimes a question feels like a shove in the back, one that almost makes you fall forward into a topic or idea you've been avoiding. Other times the question can feel more like a gentle nudge that helps you move a little bit further or faster in the direction that you're heading. And there's some great tips there in the article, which the favourite of which I think in this context is uh, know yourself. Understand the techniques that will work best for you. There's no right or wrong. Some of us are talkers, others writers, others artists. It's about finding a way to capture your thoughts in a way that creates insight for you. Isn't that great? And some really good tips there in that article, um, which I'll link to. And yet another benefit of this practice is it helps me be more mindful. Remember, mindfulness is about staying in that present moment with non-judgmental awareness. And that's very difficult to do if I've got a lot of thoughts running around in my head. 
particularly difficult thoughts or thoughts about challenges or issues that I'm facing. Now that I've developed a habit of a place for those thoughts, if you like, or a place for not just those thoughts, but a reflection mechanism on those thoughts, when I do then sit still and meditate or do something that's more mindful, I don't have that noise or I don't have those interruptions and I can stay a lot more focused and get a lot more out of the mindfulness practice than I otherwise would be able to. The last point I wanted to make is around managing energy levels and depletion. During the really busy weeks, I know through my mindfulness practices, I've gotten really good during the workday itself at managing my energy levels and taking breaks, meditating, going out for a walk, all the sort of strategies that I've mentioned in previous episodes. But what has really helped me, particularly in those very difficult weeks, has been my awareness. Because in order to act and react to feeling a bit depleted or having to manage my energy levels, you have to actually be aware of the problem to start off with. So absolutely, it's the case for me that my mindfulness practice over the last five plus years has really helped me be more aware. And then that gives me the ability to act. But even up till a few years ago, what I was still finding on those really busy weeks and days was, especially towards the end of the day, you know, late afternoon, early evening, I was definitely running on empty. And whilst that's not abnormal, it is something that I wanted to improve on. And so I started thinking about, well, what can I do differently to get better? Which led me to think about what I was actually doing on those late afternoons and evenings on those really busy weeks and why it was impacting me the next morning. So I wasn't happy with my sleep. I wasn't happy with how refreshed I was feeling the next morning. So that really made me think about the previous evening. I was probably doing something wrong or had gotten into bad habits. And so I think I went back to it in, with that lens of self-compassion of, you know, what do I need? And at first it became a really odd thought because I kept coming back to this idea that what I need is to do nothing. And I thought, well, that just doesn't feel right. I mean, I know that's my first instinctive thought, but, you know, it's the end of the day. I actually do want to, you know, watch a bit of TV or listen to a podcast or do something. I don't want to really do nothing. So what is this thought of do nothing telling me? And what it was telling me is that my mind needed a break. I mean, physically on some of those days, I probably needed a break too, but it's, it's, I think it's rare for me unless I've been having a run of bad sleep to be physically tired in the evenings. So I thought, okay, maybe there's something in this. So what I started doing, especially post-dinner on those days, was doing nothing. 
and doing nothing sometimes involved doing some meditation or doing or just listening to some music but basically trying to do activities which were not a very big mental load And like I said, it was a bit counterintuitive at first because I kept thinking, well, I'm going to sleep soon anyway. So why am I, quote unquote, wasting this time? But actually, what I've really found is that half an hour to an hour, and when I do it varies, sometimes it's when I first get back from work if my you know home life allows it. But what I found is that half an hour to an hour of stillness or Usually I listen to some music, so some of my favourite music or Spotify playlists, I'll put that on in the bedroom and um, just relax for a bit. What I've found is doing that puts me in a much more relaxed frame of mind just before I'm going to sleep, and I think overall I tend to sleep better because of it. And as a result, when I wake up, I feel ready to go and ready to take on what's going to be another really quite busy day. And I don't feel depleted. I don't wake up those mornings um, with the sort of baggage of the day before. You know, those really busy days, you can tend to wake up with the weight of the previous day on your shoulders. Winding down early in the evening and really being aware of what I need um, is the point I'm trying to make is I ask myself, well, what do I need? And if I don't feel embarrassed now to just say to myself, look, what I really need on this 12 plus hour workday or what has been a really long day is is to do nothing. And I don't need the stimulation of TV or anything else um, or even a conversation or a social interaction. I just need a bit of nothing time before bedtime. So I suggest using a test and learn approach for yourself. Ask yourself, what do you need? Look for those patterns of where you're getting depleted a lot, either during the workday or more likely towards the end of a day, and then think about what you can do to shift into a zone where you're not getting more depleted and actually you're getting more um, recharged or energized because that cumulative cumulative effect of getting depleted um, has knock-on effects and is not going to help you build resilience in the long term, but it's not actually going to help you get through your challenging days and weeks in the short term. Okay, so I've covered a lot in this episode. I hope that's been really helpful for you. Please let me know what works and doesn't work for you or um, what you view resilience as. I'd love to hear your feedback. The email is podcast at mindfulventuring.com or as always, click on the link in the show notes. Um, And as always, there's a lot more that I could say, but in my uh, never-ending quest to keep these episodes brief, I will put the uh, links in the show notes to... um, other thought-provoking articles and uh, let you um, read those in your own time. And of course, yeah, please let me know what you think. And I'd like to close today on a quote that I read uh, from Deepak Chopra. It's so easy to view someone like him, who's obviously ultra-successful and uh, ultra-mindful to think that, you know, he was sort of as an adult, fully formed, and this is how he's been for most of his 
uh, life. But this article, which I'll put in the show notes, really talked about how in his early professional life as a doctor, he really struggled. It says, my 22-year-old self needed to hear something important. Being on track is really workable. Setbacks, swerves and curves await everyone. He needed to pay attention to something foreign to his nature. Resilience in the face of difficulty. This means the ability to bounce back emotionally, to take no obstacle as a sign of one's inferiority, to establish a strong sense of self that external circumstances and other people cannot undermine. Well, as usual, wise words and uh, much better than I could put it, but I found that really useful to think that, in a way, like the rest of us, he has learned the hard way. And as he says, young Deepak managed to lick his wounds and make it through. But he did it, I'm sorry to say, because some people have invincible cockiness. The cost was protracted immaturity. It would be 15 years before I actually discovered what emotional resilience and a mature self feel like. It would have been good if someone had tapped me on the shoulder a lot earlier. Isn't that great? And, you know, by writing those words and by doing all that work, in effect, I'm sure he's impacted millions of people and actually given them that tap on the shoulder uh, that they needed. So that's the episode on resilience. I really hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, keep calm and venture on.